So, um, to get this started, have any of you ever had a negative or bad experience working on a team? So I asked that, oh, there it is, I already see the laughter coming out, right? So when I think about this, one of the, one of the occurrences for me that comes, comes to mind is back when I was in college, we had this one class, and it was actually quite difficult. And one of the key assignments for the course was a, a, a group assignment, which comprised about 50% of our total grade by the end of the year. And for this assignment, the professor decided that he was going to pick teams and assign kind of groups for each, for each of us in the class. And so when I got my group, as he's calling out the names, one of my team members was a guy who I'd had other classes with. And in one of those classes in the previous semester, he came into the day of finals chanting, C's get degrees, C's get degrees. And so as I began to find out that this person, this man, was on my team for this group project, I, I was not very optimistic. So have you ever been a team, or in a team like that? Maybe it was in school, at work, maybe it was in a sports team. Some of you are like, nah, man, I've never had an experience like that. You know, and the guy that was chanting C's to get degrees, like, you know, he's kind of got a point and he makes sense. It's like, well, you're that guy. It's like, but here's the thing. I want to shift the focus a little bit. I'm not asking this question rhetorically. I want to hear from a few of you. What is it that makes a good team? Well, give, me, give me something. Unity, good. Strong leader. What else? Goal. Respect. Chemistry. Alignment. Collaboration. Let's keep going. We've we got some good words. I'll throw one. Commitment and participation. So today, we're going to be talking about the church. And I think the team, or this idea of a team, makes a good framework. But we need to understand that the church is called to be far more than just a team. The church is described as the body of Christ. And this is something we're going to be looking at today, specifically as it relates to us in our call as the body as believers, as disciples of Jesus, as brothers and sisters of the family of God who are called to live as servants, servants of one another, servants of Christ, for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. And this idea that the church is a body of Christ kind of conveys this notion of a certain interconnectedness and a unity and difference for a greater purpose. For a greater purpose. You might say that we're a family of servants joining Jesus on his mission to make disciples. We're family of servants joining Jesus on his mission to make disciples. So before we uh, kind of jump into this, I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then uh, we'll get moving. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, I pray that I would speak truthfully with respect to your word. Lord, I pray that you would exhort, you would encourage you would extol us to the, to the greater life that there is in the church and as brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray more than anything else that your spirit would be at work among us this morning. And it's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Okay, so kind of the, the, the outline of this message for this morning, we're going to talk about the what, the why, 
and, and then the what for. And what I mean by that is, the, okay, what are we talking about, which is going to be, in, in, in broad terms, spiritual gifts. You know, kind of then what are they and what purpose do they serve? And then we're going to close with the what for. And the what for is, well, what do we ask, what do we want, what would we desire for everyone here who professes Christ to do with this information? Um, and I looked at the time, and so we're probably going to go a little bit over. So I'm going to go as quickly as I can, but I don't want to do a disservice today and not kind of hit some things that are important because the, the, the subject we're talking about today especially is, is exceedingly important for the life of our church as King's Chapel and especially looking ahead as we move into the future together uh, as the church. We on board? All right, cool. Amen. All right, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I just want to note one thing here. The, in the ESV it translates the, uh, where it says spiritual worship there in verse 1. A more literal kind of reading of this, which you can find in other translations... Um, is reasonable or rational service. Reasonable or rational service. And so, kind of the big idea that we're, we're getting from this portion here is that living our lives, living our lives with and for God is the reasonable or rational course of action. It's your reasonable and rational service. Verse 1, right, he says, Therefore, so anytime you see a therefore, the question is, what's the therefore, therefore, right? And so what he's getting at is, is basically, he's saying at this section in Romans, listen, therefore, in light of all that I've said previously in this, in this book, this letter rather, this epistle that I'm writing to you. And so we're in chapter 12. And if you have an opportunity, I would encourage you to do this. Romans is one of the most beautiful declarations and delineations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans, we see the gospel being talked about as a story. It's a story to be told, which what we see in that is the unfolding plan of God for his creation, that, that there would be a church that's created and that Jesus Christ would be the centerpiece and glorified. And we also see in Romans that, that the gospel is a truth, a truth to be proclaimed. It's, it's the message of Christ coming, living, dying, and rising again, to purchase victory, vindication, and freedom from sin, death, and Satan for his people. And so we're starting here at this section in Romans because what I want us to see is that using our spiritual gifts is going to be a key expression of how we worship God, how we live our lives in union with Christ. And so, sorry, mouth's getting dry. We covered this in detail last week when we talked about how we are a family that worships. And so we're starting here so we can, okay, we can see this connection, right? We're a family that worships, and part of our worship is that we would understand, apprehend, embrace, and begin to live in such a way that we're utilizing and deploying our spiritual gifts for the good of our, for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of God. So a key aspect, right, is using spiritual gifts. And what I want us to... We're going to turn now, and we're going to see kind of the focus shift. So look with me again back at Romans. Verse 3. It says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he or she ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So first thing, with respect to the spiritual gifts, what we need to understand is that we need to maintain a spiritual of humility. We need to maintain a spiritual, spiritual, that works too, a spirit of humility, a posture of humility with regard to the spiritual gifts. You see, the gifts are given out in accordance to God's good pleasure. We can see this, for example, where he says, according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So God is the one who gives the gifts. God is the one who, deploy, who, who distributes them among his church. And so whatever gift you have, you have to understand that that is a gift of God's grace. Like You didn't get it because you deserved it or earned it. God, in his providence and sovereignty and his grace, said, I want to give this gift to you. And secondly, a gift doesn't make you or mean that you're more significant or special than anyone else. You know, so if you've got one gift and you think, this makes me awesome and, and essential and unreplaceable, it's like, no, that's the wrong way to go. God's not in heaven going, man, uh, the, last, the last couple centuries, I really wasn't sure how this whole church thing was going to play out. And, you know, I'm just so excited you're on my team now. Because now that you're here, I know it's going to work out really well. It's like, no, right? No. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. So first thing, gifts are given out in accordance by God's good pleasure. And, and, and secondly, we must embrace the gifts that God has given to us. We must embrace the ones that he has given. Don't trivialize or ignore the gifts that God has given to you. And, and this is something that I think we can sometimes do because we don't fully comprehend or maybe understand the true value, let's say, of the gift that God may have given you. And, and so, for example, this is something that, um, and I have permission, something my wife Erin kind of came to realize. One of the gifts that God has given her, and it's been there all along, was the gift of encouragement. And we would have conversations. I'm like, sweetie, you've got the gift of encouragement. And she kind of knew it, but she didn't really embrace it. She didn't really live into that. She didn't really develop it. She didn't really... And then there was a shift that occurred where she began to realize, wow, this is the gift that God's given me. I should, I, should, I should embrace that. I should live into that. And all of a sudden, it revolutionized her walk with God. And there, there was an immediate response in terms of just the fruitfulness that began to occur in her life. So much so that, for example, in her place of work currently, when there was a season where she stepped away and then, and then she came back on board there. All of her coworkers were like, we missed you. This is, such a, this is such a much more joyful place of work when you're here. Now, this is in a, in a work situation. This is what we need to see. Our gifts, spiritual gifts, have application in and outside the church. But here's an example. Do you realize how powerful a gift of encouragement can be? So don't minimize, don't be dismissive of the gifts you've been given because you don't understand their full usefulness and, and how God has a plan for them or because you think somehow it's less important than other gifts. We can't do that. So we embrace the gifts that God has given us. And then kind of in line with this, we also have to, to be mindful not to envy the gifts that God has given to others. Gift envy is a real thing because envy is a real thing. And this happens, right? So my own wrestling with this occurred some years ago. I was in the process of, of church planting, and you, you go to all these networks and these events, and you get to know other guys who are doing kind of the same thing. And church planting just means like you're trying to get a new, start, new church started. And, and I would see these guys who had these incredible 
abilities, their capacity was way beyond my own. They had just these certain ways of doing things and being able to do things that I just didn't have. And I would see what they were doing, and I would see, for example, some of the fruit that was being born out of their ministry, and all of a sudden I found myself getting bitter and envious and jealous, feeling like I deserve what they got, why did they get that and I didn't, why can't, right? And all of a sudden my heart gets all twisted up, and instead of being grateful for the gifts that God had given me, I'm looking at these other men saying, I need to be more like them, God, and you're cheating me because you haven't get. And all of a sudden, I'm off focus, right? Gift envy is a real thing because envy is a real thing. And so we need to be mindful of the comparison game and being jealous and envious of our brothers because they've got gifts that are different from our own. So, God gives out the gifts. We need to embrace the ones that he's given us. And we need to be mindful of not becoming envious or jealous of the gifts that God has given to others. So humility is essential. But so is understanding the purpose of the gifts. So is understanding why God gives the gifts to his church. Look with me uh, again back at Romans. We're going to begin in verse 4. Looking at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So note what he says there. We're one body, and we're members one of another. So there's this interconnectedness, this unity in diversity that, that this image of the body of Christ is portraying and helping us to see. So the main thing we need to grab from this is that the gifts are given to each for the benefit of the rest of the body. The gifts are given to each of us for the benefit of the rest of the body. We each have a role to play. We each have a part. We each have a significant contribution to bring in serving within the life of the church, whether that's inside in terms of like things that happen like in our corporate gatherings or outside. And we'll talk more about this as we move forward. But like, for example, the gift of evangelism is predominantly a gift that is deployed outside the church. Make sense? So there's inwardly focused and outwardly focused. But all gifts, regardless of focus, are needed for the church to grow. There are many members with different functions. And so just like bodies are comprised of different parts, each part is essential. And our different giftings, and this is so important, our different giftings should be a source of mutual dependence and unity. Should be. We quite literally need each other in order for us, individually and corporately as the body, to grow. We see this, for example, articulated in Ephesians 4. And there's a, there's a bigger section that I'm pulling from, but this is the key one that kind of conveys this point really well. And it's verses 11 and 12 in Ephesians 4. And the Apostle Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints... Now, who are the saints? We're the saints. For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so you have these, what he's looking at here, are offices or these gifts that are primarily being used to build up the body. And, and so that all of the saints would know our gifts. And that all of the saints would, working in unity, begin to build one another up. So that we might grow into maturity in Christ. And so, even though uh, the gift should be a source of mutual dependence... And unity, unfortunately, the tragedy is that oftentimes we get annoyed with people with different gifts than us. 
So here's an example. In, in, the, in the passage there in Ephesians, he mentions evangelists and shepherding. So there's gifts of evangelism, gifts of shepherding. They have two totally different orientations, right? So the evangelist, what's the evangelist concerned about? How are we going to reach the lost? We haven't had any baptisms. Why haven't we had any baptisms? What are we doing to reach the lost? What are, what, what are we, hey, let's go, to, let's go preach the gospel somewhere. Right? So they're always about, what, how can we reach the lost? How can we reach the lost? How can we reach the lost? What are we doing to reach the lost? Now, the shepherd, someone with gifts of shepherding, their orientation is more inwardly towards the body. And the shepherd's saying, we've got all these needs within the body. We've got, these, we've got to teach. We've got to instruct. We've got to raise up. We've got, there's counseling that needs to happen. There's, there's all these concerns. And so the evangelist and the shepherd get together, and the evangelist's like, let's go reach some lost people. And the shepherd's like, we're not taking care of the ones we got. Why do you want to bring more in? And he's like, but Jesus tells us to go make disciples. We've got to go make disciples. We're not reaching people. And, the guy, and then the shepherd's like, yeah, I hear you, but listen, we've got to care for the ones we've got. He's like, I'm not saying stop caring for the ones we've got, but we've got to go get the ones that Jesus wants to bring in, right? And that happens long enough, and eventually the shepherd goes, I'm sick of you. And the evangelist goes, I'm sick of you. And they split. And this is why we have churches. For example, and you, you look around, you're going to have one church that's killing it at evangelism. Killing it baptisms, people coming to faith, unbelievable amounts of conversions and new life, right? But they suck at shepherding. And they have a rotating door. People come in, they come to faith, and then eventually they go out the back door looking for a church where they can get shepherded better. And then you've got other churches that are phenomenal at shepherding. But they couldn't even tell you the last time they had a baptism from a conversion in faith. Now here's where it gets twisted. Both of them pride themselves on being good at what they're good at instead of grieving the fact that they're divided. The gifts are meant to be a source of unity. And when you see a church that has the gifts of evangelism and shepherding both being cultivated and deployed, watch out. Watch out. But it's easier to divide then do the hard work of learning to co-labor together and to humbly submit to each other's differences so that together we might learn and grow into maturity. So we have to be mindful. Because the gifts are for the body, we have to guard against selfish ambition. And this is related back to verse 3 where... Uh, Paul says, right, we must not think too highly of ourselves. So what are some things that we can, let's say, look out for to, to, to guard ourselves against selfish ambition? First one is, you just kind of look at the, we're looking at the motivations, right? So some examples of motives to be on the lookout for. One is recognition. Like you serve because you like the kudos. You like the attaboy, the girl. You like people kind of praising you, thinking, thinking well of you for what you do. I'm not saying that's all bad. Everyone likes to get complimented on what they do. But if, if, that's the, if that's the motivation, if you're finding a sense of identity, let's say, in the praise of others for doing what you do, hit the pause button and, and reflect on that. Another motivation that's, that, that's revealing of faulty or false motives, power and authority. You know, if everyone just did what you said, things would go so much better than they do. 
Like, you've got it all figured out. You've got the 10-step plan. You've got the, you've got the strategic kind of thing for the next three years. And if everyone would just listen to what you say, it would work so much better. Right? Maybe, maybe you just like being in charge. Maybe there's some kind of thing inside of you that you actually gain some sense of, I don't know, fulfillment out of being able to kind of boss people around. And hear me, if you don't think that goes on in the church, wake up. But it's a false motive, and it's a dangerous and destructive one. So if you see that in you, hit the pause button. Take some time to reflect on that. Third one. This isn't super common, but it does happen. Sometimes our motives for serving are financial gain. Like I've been serving pastorally where a person would come into a church... And they'd be all gung-ho for getting involved. And all of a sudden, I start noticing that this person is using their, their, their serving for the motive of trying to build their business. Now, hear me. I'm not saying if you're self-employed or anything like that, that your brother shouldn't know what you do. And should, but but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, there is a sense in which if you're, if you're using the church to increase the coins in your pocket, there's a problem there. And so sometimes we can serve for financial gain. And newsflash, guess what? There's pastors that do this. It's tragic. This is a real issue. We've got to be, be on the alert for this. What about uh, another false motive, sense of self-righteousness? Now, this one's kind of related to the idea of recognition, but it's a little bit different because what, what serving gets you is a sense that you're better, that you're more godly than everybody else. I'm here every time the doors of that church are open. Whenever the call goes out for someone to come and help, I'm the one that steps up. And if everyone was just like me, we'd be such a... No, you Pharisee. Right? No. Don't be like that. So if you see self-righteousness, this you get from serving a sense that you're more godly than others. Hit the pause button. Check your motives. And then lastly... Another one I think is important to mention is guilt or shame. And, and we have to thread this one carefully because there's, there's, there's healthy guilt and then there's unhealthy guilt and shame. Does that make sense? So unhealthy guilt is what I have in view here. And, and sometimes we'll use this phrase, people-pleasing. People-pleasing is a, is a form of unhealthy guilt and shame. So if your motivation for serving, if you find you're, you're doing it because you're worried about what others think of you, you're worried about disappointing others. Then you might be serving out of a sense of guilt and shame. And an unhealthy one. Because our motivation for serving shouldn't be what others think of us, but because we love Jesus and we want to please Him. And they're two very different things. Two very different things. So if you notice, oh man, yeah, I kinda, I'm, a, I'm kind of a people pleaser. And I find myself doing things that I know I probably shouldn't do or can't do because of my season of life. Yeah, man, hit the pause button. Kind of unpack that. Figure that out. We shouldn't serve out of guilt and shame in that way, but rather out of joy and a desire to see our brothers and sisters flourish. Now, none of us at this side of glory are going to have purely pure motives. Until the resurrection, we're going to still deal with indwelling sin. It's a fact. However, so, so understand, we're not going for perfection here in the heart level because we're not going to get it. But I do think we need to guard our hearts and by God's grace pull the weeds as we see them and we find them. Amen? All right, so, so now what? Right? What does any of this have anything to do with King's Chapel or for you? 
right? So look back at Romans, beginning in verse 6. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying, as we have the gifts, let's embrace them and let's use them. Now, I do want to make just a short comment here because it's mentioned here. So it mentions prophecy, and, and, and I think it's important to understand that there's two things here, I think, in the New Testament, a distinction between the office, let's say, and the gift, and there's other ones that that applies to as well. And there is some nuance in the way the New Testament discusses or talks about prophecy. And here's an example. In 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he says, he's talking about an orderly worship service, which involves those who are prophesying, and he says, let let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. And the, the word weigh, that's from ESV, but the actual underlying word there is diacrino. And the NAS, NASB, for example, translates this, I think, more accurately as past judgment. Right? So let, let the other prophets pass judgment on what is said. And the only reason I bring this up is to say that if prophecy is, for example, like what the Apostle Paul is doing in writing his letter, which isn't to be weighed or pet, like you're to receive that as if it's the word of God because he's an apostle and he's speaking as Christ, then why is Paul making a distinction that those who are prophesying, what's being heard should be measured or weighed or judged? Does that make sense? So, shifting back in a year, what's the point? It is God's will for you to know and to use your spiritual gifts. That is his desire for you as his children to know and to use your spiritual gifts. So where, where do we start? Where do we start? I think first thing, we need to kind of make two assessment questions. And the first one is this. You need to honestly assess yourself, and you can do that right now. Do you have the heart or the mind of a servant? Do, do you embrace that aspect of your call in terms of discipleship to be a servant? And to appropriate God's grace and power through the Spirit to live in such a manner as that. You see, fruit reveals root. Fruit reveals root. It's going to manifest through how your, uh, through your actions and through your words, whether it's at work or school or church. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to say is, okay, do you have the fruit that reveals a root of servanthood in your life? Do you see that? Is there evidence of that? Another way you might approach this is to say, what is... Um, your dominant way of thinking. What is your dominant way of thinking? Do you ask, how can I help? Or do you ask, how can I avoid having to do something? See the difference? And that's that heart posture. Man, how can I help? Man, how can I avoid having to do something? That's, that's the root being revealed by the fruit of the question. Now, here's the deal. If, if repentance is in order, like, you don't need to beat yourself up. Any Monty Python fans in here? Any of you know who Monty Python is? Like, there's this crazy scene in the movie where you see these monks kind of chanting or praying, and they're smacking themselves in the head with a piece of wood. So you don't have to go home and grab the wood cutting board out of the, out of the cupboard today, you know, and go in your room, close the door, and cry out to God and beat yourself on the head with a piece of wood. That's not what you, look. It's as simple 
is just acknowledging and owning up to it and just saying, God, man, help me. Help me change. I realize my heart's out of alignment with who you'd have me be. Help me, help me to be who you desire me to be as your son or your daughter. Don't need to beat yourself up. Just, man, come to God and confess it and keep on moving on. Like as disciples of Jesus, you know what we do? We fail forward. Amen? We're failing forward. So, first thing is we need to assess ourselves. Second thing, I think we need to be honest about the season of life that we're in. And where this is important, and it's related to this issue of of how guilt and shame can sometimes trip us up, is we need to make sure that guilt um, and shame don't force us to uh, over-wisely overlook, or rather overlook uh, limitations that we have in life sometimes. There are legit reasons any one of us might not be able to contribute in certain ways. There are seasons of life that inhibit us from being able to be fully engaged in the life of the church. For example, a baby, right? They're so adorable, and they're cute, and they're awesome, and they're fun, but they're freaking exhausting. (laughs) Amen? You ever hung out with a baby? They're so unreasonable. Everything's about them. They scream, they cry, they eat, they poop. They just make messes. You clean it up after them. And if they live in the same household with you, they're waking you up at all ungodly hours of the night, right? When you got a new baby, guess what? Your your bandwidth is kind of limited. Amen? So accept that limitation. That's okay. Or how about this? Healing from trauma. This is real. Like, I've known multiple people who have struggled with anxiety and panic attacks because of previous trauma or things that they're currently going through. Sometimes this is, this is experienced in grief, like if you've lost a loved one. Right? And, and when those seasons hit, you need to be mindful of that. And you say, look, I'm not, I'm not doing well. Like, I don't, I don't have, my tanks are empty right now. I'm struggling with these things, and I don't have, I don't have the ability to give. And then that's, if that's the case, man, be honest about your season of life. And, it, and, and, and then humbly just communicate that and say, I, I, yeah, I, I, just need, I, need to, I just need to be here the best that I can, and I need to be helped and served and loved because I'm hurting right now. Amen? Illness or injury. What do you mean you can't make it today because you got the flu? If you really love Jesus, you'd suck it up and get in your car and get in here and do the things that you said you were going to do. Oh, I got the flu. Why don't you take some Pepto? No, right? There are things that happen that we can't, we can't have no control over. Injury, illness, you just, like, you can't, you can't do it. And that's okay. Because we're not, right? We're not in control of life. We're passengers in, in many respects, and things fall upon us. So you've got to be honest about those things. And then lastly, and this is so important, especially for where we're going to go, weariness from serving. You ever gotten worn out from serving too much? Raise your hands. Let me see them. Be honest. Come on now. It's like you just like, oh, man, here comes Sunday. I do not want to go today. I'm so tired. I'm weary. Right? I remember we were at a... This is out of my own experience. We had a young, it was a young church plant. There was a, a young woman who was a volunteer in a, in a key ministry. Serving, 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 serving. And then her and her husband came to me one day, and she, and she broke down in tears. And she's just like, I can't, I'm so tired. You know, I, I don't feel like I can do it. And I was like, that's cool. Let's take a break. And, and she's like, well, who's going who's gonna to do this? I was like, I don't know. 
figure it out. She's like, well, what if nobody, that's okay. You're more important than that being done, right? And so we need to, we need to be able to recognize, like, when we're reaching that burnout state, you know, sometimes, look, sometimes we all understand, you got, sometimes you got to push through that. But there's other times where if you keep trying to push through, you're going to break. And please, don't allow yourself to be broken in that way. Ask for help. Communicate. Man, I'm burning out. I'm burning out. So, bearing all that in mind, right? What, what are the next steps for us as King's Chapel? First, we're going to be offering a spiritual gifts assessment. And so, if you're a member here at King's Chapel... Next Sunday, out in the lobby, there is going to be a packet with your name on it. And in there, you're going to find a spiritual gifts assessment, personality profile, some other things that are just really helpful tools that we can begin to utilize to figure out, discover, embrace, and deploy our spiritual gifts collectively as the church. And Pastor Jeff and the other elders value this enough that we want every member, if you're a member here, every member, we desire for every member to go through this course. And so grab your packet, and you're going to fill that out. And then we're going to be asking you to pick a date for a spiritual gifts kind of course. You're going to fill the survey out, bring that with you. And we're going to go through a little more details regarding spiritual gifts. We want to get the information back from you. Um, so we're asking you for, for one hour. Um, you're going to see the classes listed. They're going to begin in June. And so I want you to pick one of those. I want you to show up, kind of walk through that class. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. Well, I'm the one facilitating it. Maybe not. Depends on how much you like me or not. But I'm going to have a good time, right? Secondly, if you're not a member here, but you still want to participate, fantastic, right? Let us know. We're going to have some extra packets out there. And if you let us know beforehand, we'll try to even make one with your name on it so that you can grab the packet. But you better go all the way through. Don't be like, I want the packet and I show up, right? No, no, no. Now, here's the thing. The assessment in class is just the first step. Our goal through this is to help everyone discover their gifts and be able to serve in areas that match their giftedness. Now, this is never, we're never you're never able to do this perfectly, but that's, that's, the, that's the trajectory, that's the direction we want to head as a church. Honestly, the single best way of learning and discovering what your gifts are is by serving and listening to the feedback you get from the body. That, I mean, that's really, it's not that complicated. You just start serving and listening to what other people say and how they respond to you. But this is to get the process started. It takes time and some trial and error. So don't, don't think like, oh, I filled the survey out and boom, I got it all figured out. That's not how it works. So I don't want to oversell it. But it is the first step in the process. Second, so first goal, spiritual gifts assessment. Second, here's where I, I anticipate the mm. Second, we are asking every member to serve at least once a month in some capacity. Serve once a month in some capacity. Why? We need you. The church needs you. Like, we need you. We need your gifts. We need your talents. We need your time. We need your energy. We need your effort because none of us can do this on our own. Right? We need you. We're going to come back to this shortly, but here's the thing. With everyone working together, our community is strengthened. 
Some of the best relationships I've ever developed within the context of the church have been because I was serving alongside others. So many times people show up to church, they never, they never get involved and they serve. And they're like, oh, I don't feel like anybody knows me. It's like, if that's you, man, get involved. Start serving. You know what's going to happen? People are going to get to know you. You're going to get to know them. It's, it's, a, it's a profound way of developing relationships. Secondly, when everyone is working together, the workload is lighter. The workload is lighter. I promise you this, that there are people in our congregation who have been faithfully serving week in and week out, and they're burning out. They're weary, they're tired, and they need your help. The more of us who are pitching in, the lighter the load. Like, have you ever had to move? I hate moving. Right? What do you always do when you move? You call your unlucky friends and you ask them to come help move your stuff. And why do you do that? Because you realize, like, I got a lot of junk and it's heavy and I can't do this by myself. I need help. Right? We need help. The church needs you and your gifts. And when everyone is pitching in, the workload is lighter and it makes it a joyful experience for far more people. And I'm not telling you something you don't already know. So we're asking everybody to serve once a month in some capacity. Third, and here's where I expect the double. Uh, uh. Our goal is for every able-bodied person to help with setup and teardown. And at this point, I know people are like, no, man, you just lost me. I don't feel gifted to move stuff. More details on this are going to be coming out, but set up and tear down are, are one of those areas that usually a small handful of people end up having to cover all the time. And I'm saying this from experience in multiple church plants, and we're a young church. We're three years old, right? Three years old? Almost. So we're, 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 we're like, we're fumbling around with a diaper on, right? That's us as a church. We're a toddler. And in new churches, oftentimes this is, this is, a, this is a predictably common uh, issue or thing that, that, that comes about. Now, here's, here's the reality, right? Some of us in here would be like, yeah, I want to do that. Other of us, maybe not so much. Now, a good example that I, that as I've thought about this is like, as families, right, you go home, you're going to have lunch today maybe, whatever, you have dinner, and then everyone loves to eat the food. What does no one like doing after the meal's done? <laughs> Cleaning the dishes. Right? Now, maybe one of you in here is, is weird. You're like, man, I love washing dishes. Hey, let's hang out more. You should come over to my house for dinner. Right? But the majority of us are like, man, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to wash the dishes. I don't feel called to that. I don't feel like I'm gifted for that. Right? It's like, well, if you're a member of the family, like, the dishes still got to get done. And so in a spirit of fairness, let's all pitch in and wash the dishes. And, and so set up and tear down is kind of like that. We're asking you to help wash the dishes, right? If you're able, we're asking you to pitch in and help wash the dishes. And, and where this becomes important is, and I want to circle back to this question of why we need you as we close. And I appreciate your patience because I know we've gone over. We're going to use set up and tear down as an example. And, and here's what you need to understand. It's not about putting up a sign. It's not about setting a table. Set up and tear down is about us creating a space where we can gather as God's family to worship. Set up and tear down is about creating a space where those outside the church can come, gather among God's people, and hear the proclamation of the gospel. 
See the difference there? One is, hey, just move this from here to there. One is, hey, help us create a, a welcoming space where we can praise God and people can hear the gospel. Two very different ways of understanding it. And secondly, as wonderful as this current location is, it's not ours. Like, we lease it. We rent this space. And that can give us a false sense of security. But here's the deal. Based on numbers alone, just from Easter, it is not unreasonable to think that God is going to continue to grow King's Chapel, and in the coming months, we are going to outgrow this space. And if we have to move, find another location, there's a good chance that our workload, in terms of specifically set up and tear down and other things, to prepare a space so that we might gather is going to grow. And so we need to be prepared for that. We need you. We need your help. But more importantly, and this is what we want to close on, do you know it's God's desire? It is God's will that King's Chapel would thrive and would flourish. Jesus loves his church. He gave his life for his bride. He desires for it to flourish and to thrive and to grow. And my hope is that we would grow together as a family that serves, that we would embrace cultivate and deploy our gifts for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors, and that more than anything else, we would move forward in faith towards the future, believing that, that God has great things in store for King's Chapel. And, and I want you to dream with me for a minute, right? Imagine everyone coming and serving and building relationship and knowing their gifts and feeling a sense of joy and, and, and a sense of connectedness and a sense of I don't want to use the word usefulness, but the, the fact that you're actually bringing something that is, that is contributing to something that's greater than you. And there's a spirit of unity and love and, and passion to see God's church grow. And in that process, that there are people who are not here yet that God wants to use us. And I say that specifically, us, because it is always an us. It's not a you or a me, it's a we, it's an us as the body. There are people that God desires to save. And through the ministry of King's Chapel, we will see those who are outside the church now that have no hope in Christ come to a knowledge and faith in Jesus. That we will see baptisms and we will see lives transformed and we will celebrate those things. And we will care for them, nurture them, disciple them, raise them up so that they become contributing, mature members in our church. And that King's Chapel will outlive all of us in this room this, this morning. That the life of this ministry will extend beyond any one of us. That our children's children's children might come and gather and worship at King's Chapel for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. And that we would have minds that are devoted to Christ and a, and a, and a commitment to see his kingdom expand until Jesus himself comes back. And all is made new in the consummation of all things in Christ. We need you. We need you. Pray with me. Father, we humbly come before you. We're broken cisterns, but Lord, you fill us with your grace and your mercy and the waters of life. And so may we gather together and may, out of the overflow of your love for us and our love for you, deploy our gifts, serve your church, glorify you, and see your kingdom expanded. May we have a vision for you and your kingdom. 
And we pray all of this in Jesus' great name. Amen.